Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke with lots of cough drops today. Yes, sucking on a cough drop. And uh, today we're going to talk about learning to thrive or... Hey, that ditch over there is the Grand Canyon. And and Annie is just shaking her head saying, what the heck's that mean? Oh. But but I, I put that in there because you give that analogy a lot, saying, okay, that first step, that first step to changing your life can seem like the Grand Canyon. You know, I mean, that's... It might as well be for most people. Yeah, I mean, they, they get into this place and then they go, okay, that one step over there is just too intimidating, too fearful. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. So so you you often teach these workshops or discuss these things with different groups about thriving. And I think uh, kind of for us, thriving was all about moving into this realm of sustainable living, saying, okay, the the system that we had been told was rewarding and fulfilling for us was not rewarding and fulfilling in the same way as as the mythology told us it would be. So how do we thrive? Well, we had to go off and start our own our own path. So step number one. <laughs> I don't want to tell you this stuff. I'm gonna sit here and be be enlightened. I'm gonna let I your just wisdom waiting flow for you to take over, a breath there, Mr. Warmke. Flow over me. Well here here's right. the challenge. Um so I would I would say that I thrived much earlier than living at Blue Rock Station because I made a concerted effort that um, as as a person when I was growing up and as a young woman, I had a very horrible life, an abusive life. Um, and, and many bad things happened at the hands of people who said they loved me. And at some point, I took a hold of my life, even though I was terrified, and I went into hiding, and I was homeless. And I remember thinking, watching people laugh and thinking, uh, I want to understand what it means to laugh spontaneously. I want to understand what it means to feel good about every day of my life. And that's the quest that I um, was on when I met you. And fortunately for you, you didn't think I was crazy. So, and here we are 38 years later. Yeah, it took me 38 years to learn <laughs> that, in fact, you were you crazy. Were, yes. Okay, yeah. good. Well, too late. Um, anyway, so the first thing that I had to do was to face my fears. And that is a real challenge in this culture because the culture promotes fear. It's one of the ways that if we, if we don't feel safe, it's very difficult to move on in other ways in our life. This is a, the basic requirement of human beings is to feel safe. Well, so, and you, you tell, I interrupt there, but about you always told that, you told me the story and I always liked it about the, the lions, right? Facing your fear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, this was, this was something that came to me uh, later in my life as a battered woman and when I had decided that I had to find some confidence in myself, some self-esteem because I had none, um, I, I didn't um, – I, I had to go to bed at 7 o'clock at night and, and then I would wait for my husband to go to sleep and then I would get up and I had saved some money f- that I had worked on a place and um, I bought myself a little black and white TV, which I hadn't had TV or phone for years. And I watched this show called The 700 Club that was on late at night. And they told this really uh, wild story, which I'm sure is not true, but it changed my life. And it's the story of a pride of lions where the young uh, males are hunting. And the old male has no teeth, and he has mange, and he looks really horrible, but he's huge. 
So he gets up on this bluff where he can overlook the area where the young lions are going to march this prey towards him, and then they're going to attack the prey. So he gets up there, and he starts his roar, and he sounds terrible. He's just the mammoth thing, and just the roar is amazing, and and, um, they called it walking to the roar. And just when he lets out the roar and the the prey hear it and see it, uh, instead of running towards the roar, the one thing he's afraid of, he turns around and runs back, and then there are all the young ones waiting for him, and they kill him. Right. So the 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 point of that story is that the safest route is to run towards the roar. Well, I always say, hold your, your nose, fear. hold your nose, yeah. squint your eyes shut, kind of like jumping and, into the deep end. But it's also and, and asking you. But I was going to say, I told that to one of our interns, and then she said, yeah, well, that sounds like a story told by the one who survived. Which yes. I thought was kind of cute. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes running towards the roar is actually dangerous. Well, you tell me that often. <laughs> but but I also think you have to ask yourself a couple of questions about if you're going to run towards that roar, um, are you in physical danger? And perhaps you are, but maybe what's behind you is worse. And uh, are you going to grow from that experience? And if you answer that you're not going to be injured and you're going to gain something from it, then you should just do it. And it's going to be far less as be- be- worse than what you thought it was going to be. And you face that fear. And each time you face those fears, you grow as a person. You understand yourself better. And, and that helps in this next one, which is that we have to accept that our culture's version of being a man and a woman is a lie. And, and I say this to women every day, that your mother's version or your culture's version of you as a woman is a lie. And, and the reason it's a lie is because it sets you up to be only a certain way, to act a certain way, look a certain way, be a certain way. And we have to get beyond that. And the reason we hang on to these norms is because we have a lot of fear of rejection and not succeeding and and anything you can think of and it's all perpetuated by the media and the and our government. So we want to face those fears and move on and say who are we really not just as men or women. And that leads us to the third one which is I have to learn to love myself, and perhaps that's the hardest one. So there might be days when you feel like you can love yourself, and there may be days you don't or even minutes that you love yourself and you don't, but you have to take time for yourself and for your own needs. And that may sound like a great luxury, but maybe it's as simple as doing one yoga pose every morning, or maybe it's just sitting by the window for 10 minutes in the evening and contemplating life. Um, or a positive thing that you say to yourself. It doesn't have to be a big, hairy deal, but you have to learn how to love something within yourself, and you can only do that by taking time to do is, it. Is there a yoga pose that involves a cup of coffee and, and sitting bleary-eyed? Well, you, that, that's, you're supposed to be mindful while I'm you're a, doing I'm it. A, I'm a grandmaster. <laughs> All right. So, so the problem that we have is that we talk in our heads to ourselves at 15,000 words a minute. That's a lot of words. And if we're telling ourselves that we don't have value, if we're telling ourselves that we can't face whatever our fears are, or we don't have the ability to reach out for our dreams, then that 15,000 words a minute becomes so powerful. So we have to change those messages. And the first message has to be, I love myself. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy with myself. So those, those first three that you've touched on are kind of this 
I think all of us have have dealt with this where you say, okay, I, I have things that I'm afraid of. I'm I'm feeling that something in this society is not right. And I've decided or in myself. But I've decided to internalize that yeah. that weirdness by saying it must be me that's off, not the fact that what I'm being told is is a well, lie. Well, I think we learned that as kids. You sure. know, I grew up in a really crazy family and it wasn't until I realized that I was the sane one that everything sort of fell into place for me. I kept thinking I had to be the one that changed because I wasn't liked or accepted by the people who said they loved me. And I think most, I I don't know that I've ever met a person who grew up in a functional family. I mean, everybody's dealing with- It happens, but it's rare, but that's all right. They're so odd if they were raised in a functional family. Well, maybe, (laughs) but here's the deal. We can't help what happened to us when we were kids, but we're adults now and we definitely have control over some of that. So the next issue is to establish ownership of my body, Um, how I dress, who touches it, how I use it for work and rest and stress. And so lots of us have grown up without uh, the ability to to make a living unless we use our bodies for labor or some kind of physical activity that that creates something. And so we, in many ways, we use our body to make money. But in reality, we have to establish some kind of ownership over it because until we do, we will only use our body to hurt it in so many ways, like too many lifts or even for myself, like I've just torn the ligament in my arm from my goats pulling and chugging on me um, because I'm too – well, I let it go too long. I wasn't listening to Mm -hmm. my body, and now I've hurt it even worse because I don't care enough for my body. So when you're saying own your body, you're saying listen to it, take care of it. Uh, and I think the other thing which goes in line with what you're saying about, you know, having a positive self-image is is accept it. You know, I yeah, think for most, what it people, is. Yes. most people hate something about the way they look. But I can't, I can't change how I look. And the reality is I might be able to have an operation, but you know what? I, my DNA didn't change. Mm-hmm. And I just think we have to become friends with our body um, and say, this is the one I got. And I'm really pleased that my hair is nice. And I'm really pleased that I have a, the ability to laugh easily, whatever those things are, and begin to focus on that. And create these messages in your brain so those 15,000 words a minute actually become something positive instead of your mother's voice beating you up. Mm-hmm. So the other thing, the next thing is really super important, is we have to expand our experiences by investing in all kinds of things in life. And the problem is we are taught not to do that in this country. Uh, we have so many amazing people who have come here from somewhere else, and yet we hide as a culture, we hide. We want to go only where people look and act like us. And so we don't bother as, you know, how what percentage of Christians are in this country. 71% of this population th- call themselves Christian, but they don't want to hang out with the people who are not Christian. They want to hang, and, and those of us who are not Christian don't necessarily want to hang out with the Christians. But in reality, we could learn a lot and maybe gain some very rich experiences and tools in life if we just broaden that experience um, level. And our fear level would go down tremendously. Well, when you're saying invest in others, you're saying accept you know, the, the differences, embrace the differences, and get to know them. But isn't there also then contributing? I mean, you often talk about with the interns coming through Blue Rock Station, I am investing in you. I am 
I am putting energy into you and your well-being because I will feel something from that. I will, I will get satisfaction from seeing you do well. Well, I think it's two different things. I think that expanding our experiences mean, all right, so let's say you belong to an organization that wants to expand their membership. They want more members. But everybody's there is white. So go to churches, go to synagogues, go to meetup centers that are not focused in areas that are just for white English as your first language uh, speaking people. That's what I'm talking about. The second part of that is about investing in others. That's also expanding your experiences. But that's a little bit different because um, we've learned that we're supposed to give 150% of ourselves unless we're the president and he doesn't seem he seems to lack that skill set um but at least meet people 50 percent of the way but only meet them 50 percent. that is correct but at least at least and there are times when things are going badly or someone dies or there's really heartache and then you have to give more than that 50 percent so an example would be that yes we do have an internship program and we encourage people to share their knowledge and provide mentoring to young people. But we only want to give that 50% because we want them to give the other 50% and to learn how to do that. Well, you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you, as always, it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. Okay, so today we're talking about thriving and and uh, how do, how does this come back to sustainability? This is a program about sustainability, so so you know this can be a bit touchy feely. What we're talking about here, of, it isn't a bit touchy feely. It's totally touchy feely about being a real person with being other real, real people. Okay, so that is the heart of Honest. sustainability. Honest, right? it really is. It's about being together, sharing experiences, uh, sharing skill sets, eating together learning from each other. And if we don't have the ability to face our fears and be honest with each other and put things on the table, we can never expect to have peace in our home or our neighborhood or even in our country. Okay, so so Annie's 10 steps towards thriving in life. Just to recap, you've covered over first and foremost, face your fears, right? If you want to change your life, you've actually got to change which is scary, That's uh, except that almost everything, I'll give it an almost, uh, that you've been told by our society, by, by your experiences, is probably wrong. Well, no, that's different. That's different than to say that my culture's version of being a man or a woman. Gotcha. That's that's different than what you just said. And, okay. And this what is it that's means not. To wait be... a minute. Wait a minute. Because I have to. I need to understand for me personally what it means to be a woman, and I need to understand why I need to know that because that's the heart of who I am. And if I can't get that part, then where do I go from there? Can we expand that to what it means to be a grown up? Because I'm still waiting. For this, I've noticed um, that sometimes. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think back and I think, you know, my, my dad never would have sat on the floor, you know, but I seem to sit on the floor a lot. So who knows? Anyway, or change diapers. Playing with or, Tonka Troys. And yeah. Stuff. All right. Then you're saying take time for yourself. Own own your own body, as you say. Um, well, you know, learn to love myself. Be, be comfortable within that shell 
that is yeah, you. but it's more than just your body. It's it's the way you handle people. It's the way you interact with life. Mm-hmm. It's the things you care about and don't care about. You to really say I love that about myself, and if I don't, then change it. Sure. And then the other is uh, investing in learning about other people. Right. Expanding your experiences. And then also learning how to meet people 50% of the way, but no further. Okay. Yeah. And and you've said it both directions. You've said sometimes you got to go at least 50. Well, I gave an example of our leadership in this country. I know. but And we've had this discussion often. And I think this is something that people need to have. Most people who are are good people, good, nice people – tend to say, well, if I just do a little bit more, if I just That's right. try and do this. And, and at some point, you just have to kind of go, look, I'm going to meet you halfway. And if you don't come that other half, then I'm going to write you off. I'm going to just have to have to just move on. Well, and, and this is this is a I learned two really important things uh, a few years ago when uh, when we had a really tragic thing happen at our farm that just really touched my soul so deeply. I, I, I will never really completely heal from it. And I went to two different people that I trusted, and I asked them to help me because I couldn't seem to get over the depression of what had happened. And the first person said to me, you know, when my brother killed himself, I was 17, and I learned from that experience to only meet people 50% of the way. And Annie, you're terrible at that. You just really give everything you've got all the time and you've got to change. And then the other person said to me, Annie, if your house was on, set on fire by somebody, would you chase after that person or would you put the fire out? And at the time, I couldn't understand what that meant, but I told myself, I want to remember it because I know it's important. And I think that fits here. It's where it says, look, just invest what you need to invest, because if that person is going to be the person that you're going to share that boat seat with or that bus seat with or the end of the world with, you want to make sure that they understand that they have to meet you 50% of the way, too. So that's that. Next is learn to ask for what you need. So Jay's smiling at me because he's uh, thinking, no, what I'm, did I'm, that I'm, have to I'm do with what you just said? I'm still trying to figure out I'm chasing after the guy who set my house on fire. So. Okay. Well, then then you're in trouble. <laughs> I, know, That's, I know. I learned that no, later. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm just sorting that one in my head. I'll, I'll meet you halfway on it. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Ask me in the car on the way home. <laughs> right. Anyway, so mm-hmm. I need to learn to ask for what I need. And I think this is really important. I, in my experience, most people think that other folks read minds. So if you give certain cues or certain looks or certain pouting or certain refusals or laughing or whatever, I am supposed to be able to read your mind and know exactly what you're talking about. Or when you shake your head, yes, I'm supposed to understand that you don't really mean that. So what I'm talking about is to say what I think and what I need, because sometimes I do need other people to know what I'm thinking. I do know that I have had a bad day and I need you to understand it's been a bad day and could you take care of me today? Or today I feel low. And, uh, and I call that having the brain flu, because if you had the stomach flu, everybody would help you. But when you're low, they, they're like, shake it off. But I think that if we want to be successful in life, and by that I mean to have a good life and to have meaningful work and happy families, we have to learn how to nourish ourselves. And a lot of that comes from not swallowing the crap that we're handed 
by speaking up for what we need, like, for example, don't talk to me like that ever again. Don't use that word with me ever again. It hurts my feelings. And invariably, the person will say, well, I didn't mean it. It's like, well, it doesn't matter if you didn't mean it. It matters that that's how it felt to me. There's nothing wrong with asking somebody to tell you you did a good job. We do this together all the time or give a tour of what you did with your work yeah, or tell me what you think of my decisions or my goals. Well, what you're saying just reminded me of something my brother told me, which I uh, just recently he said, I'm I'm no longer upset that people can't communicate. I'm just astounded when they do. Yeah. yeah. OK, but that's the same. It's the same thinking. It's just he's twisted it slightly and now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I remember once something that you gave to me that was quite profound in that um, I was always asking the wrong people to tell me something nice. And um, the worst wrong person was my mother. <laughs> and so I would call her and I would say, oh, I just got this big award. And she would listen politely. And then she would say, well, you know, I cut my finger today and it hurt really badly and go off on whatever she had bought that day. And so one time I had gotten a really important award and I was dialing the phone and you said, who are you calling? I said, I'm calling my mom. He said, oh, why don't you call somebody who cares? And I looked at you and I thought, that makes perfect sense. Why I wasn't able to put that into my own head, but it was really powerful. It changed my life. So I never asked my mom to give me praise for anything after that. And I was a lot happier person because I instead called up someone who I love very much. And she was ecstatic. She sent me flowers. She sang to me in the phone. And that was the response I needed. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad I changed your life. In more ways than one. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so what's next? What's All next right, on well, your list? Then if you manage to do these things, and, and it's a constant, it's not something you just do once, then you've got to have a plan. And we talk a lot, a lot about that in these shows of having some kind of plan for your life. And it may be that it's just a short-term plan, and then as you know more, you're able to have a longer-range plan. But you've got to know what is it you're going to do about transportation, work, life, friends, what you eat how you worship, all that kind of stuff. I think the last two are probably the most important ones. You've gotten some control in your life, and that the, next to the last one is love doesn't conquer all. So I learned a long time ago that I can love somebody, but I can't and don't need to live with them to prove it. And that changed my life, too, because I had a horrible life before I was 30. Also, don't dirty fight. You know, love love doesn't conquer all, and so you can be dirty and mean in a fight with somebody you love and um, don't own your own thoughts and feelings and you just call them names or whatever. And you know what? No matter how much you love that person, you can't undo that. Sometimes it takes a long time to figure out what to say to somebody so that you can reach a compromise or go on loving each other in a good and meaningful way. But I don't think we're seeing this demonstrated. I mean, in the media today, and, and we're we're fortunate in that we're fairly disconnected from it for the most part. But when you watch what purport to be news programs, and it's mostly just people being nasty. Sparky you know? and yeah, harsh. And, and they're yelling at each other and thinking that the louder I talk, the righter I am kind of thing. Yeah. So. Well, I think I think we have to ask ourselves in our plan, what kind of relationships do we want? And if we want to have... Uh, nourishing relationships that are supportive of us and um, and provide nourishment and love. We, we can't act like that. 
And that doesn't mean that I don't say what I think. It doesn't mean that I don't stand up for myself or not take no for an answer. That is not what I'm talking about. It's about saying things in a way that the other person can really hear what you're saying, can really know, all right, I get what that means, and here's how I need to change my own behavior or how she needs to change her behavior so we can be happy. And most of the time, it's just some little piddly thing. It isn't even a big deal, but it's a big deal to that person. But love doesn't conquer at all. Once you have said cruel things, once you have acted in cruel ways or made things so you can't trust, no amount of love is going to conquer that. I don't care what people say. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So you are saying there's consequences. There are consequences to all of our behavior, and especially if you don't face your fears. You lead a life of total uh, hopelessness, really, because you've got all these dreams and cares and things you have inside of you, and they can't get out. And so that's where the Grand Canyon comes in. So you've, you've got to get beyond that. So the last thing, which is probably the most significant lesson I learned in this life, is that I've got to walk only on my own path. I didn't come here to teach you or to convince you or to save you in any way because that puts me in a position where somehow I think I'm better or mightier or bolder than you are. Probably am bolder. Um, but, <laughs> but I can't give away something I don't have. And um, so I, if I want to, to live a life of care and love and to be true to these things, these 10 ways to thrive that I believe so strongly and that have saved my life, I, I absolutely have to realize that I'm on the path by myself. But what the great thing that happens once you start to walk on that path that's really truly your thriving path, not the one where you're the victim or the survivor, but you're thriving, is that people like you reach out and take my hand and say, would you care if I walk with you? Because I like the things that you're saying, or I care about how you treat me or others. And then somebody else reaches out and says, could I walk on that path with you? And eventually then you have relationships with people that are honest and that you can trust and you can build a future on. Well, it reminds me of a saying I heard years and years ago, which I always liked, was the world will get out of the way of a person who knows where they're going. That's very true. And I believe that. Mm -hmm. And and when you're when you're talking about how people become attracted to you and walking your path with you, is it's almost it just strikes me as someone who's dealing with an addiction issue or something like that. Once you've dealt with these other um, negative behaviors, then you begin to attract a whole new group of people. That's right. Well, but you also have to friends. decide you're going to d- attract those different people because mm-hmm. the same people are not going to to be able to to nourish you. And that's hard because you, you you are there's a mourning process in all of this as well. You are going to give up people who are constantly like the crabs trying to pull you back down into the bucket and say, yeah. you're changing your behavior. I don't like the fact that you're changing your behavior. So I'm going to do whatever I can do to sabotage that. Well, and it really does all come back to the fact that you say to yourself, I've got to have a plan. So when I was addicted to medications that helped my body get through what was happening to me, when I was addicted to nicotine, I absolutely had to have a plan, a real physical plan of how to get beyond that. Okay, well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. 
We want to thank our award-winning producer, Adam Rich. And thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother probably told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Talk nicely to others. Mm-hmm. Clean up your own mess and eat your really great organic vegetables. Till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blurockstation.com. Blue